From Washington, this is the CQ Budget Podcast, your leading Capitol Hill source on how Congress allocates federal taxpayer dollars. And welcome back to the CQ Budget Podcast. I'm David Lerman, your budget tracker, and it's time to buckle up, folks, because this is do or die week on Capitol Hill. Government funding will run out on Friday. These are the final few days congressional leaders have to assemble and pass a stopgap funding measure, the dreaded continuing resolution, as it's called. And I don't think anyone really knows what's going to unfold over this crucial week. We want to assess what's going to happen, what might happen, what could happen, what we should look for. Joining me for that conversation is Paul Krozak, a senior budget writer at CQ Roll Call. Welcome back, Paul. Thanks for inviting me, David. So here we are as we tape on Monday. Government funding runs out on Friday. There's not much time left, but we do finally have a CR, Continuing Resolution, bill that came out over the weekend, Paul. The new speaker, Mike Johnson, released it after so much anticipation. We have a two-step funding process here, a lot to talk about there. Both parties agree it's a relatively clean bill. It's not, there's not a lot of add-ons that could complicate things. That's a hopeful sign because it makes it easier to get bipartisan agreement. But it is this unusual two-step or laddered approach, as they call it, where some of the funding is going to expire in mid-January and the rest of the funding doesn't expire until February 2nd. So there's going to be a two pieces to this thing. Haven't seen that very often, if at all. Do you think that flies, Paul? And, and how does it stand in the Senate in that, with that kind of approach? Well, I, you know, I think it might fly. I mean, this, this laddered approach, um, this would be unprecedented. I mean, there was, we did have an example in the past where there was a laddered approach on, I think, one of the bills, but there was bipartisan agreement in that situation. Democrats, you know, prior to the, you know, House Republicans unveiling this continuing resolution, you know, Democrats were extremely critical of the laddered approach. I mean, the uh, Senate Appropriations Chair, Patty Murray, I don't remember her exact words, but she just said it, it's crazy, craziest thing that she's ever heard of. Yeah. Paraphrasing her. Um, so Democrats were very critical of it. Um, but, you know, as you have noted, after the, uh, the House continuing resolution came out, the um, Democratic leaders in, in both the House and the Senate have not really said too much about it. So, um, I, you know, I think that it's... Um, yeah, that was interesting to me is that they've really kept their powder dry, at least so far that we know of. We should say things can always turn on a dime here and, th and events are changing quickly. But so far, since the bill came out, Democratic leaders haven't really said a peep, uh, which is unusual. Usually they're quick within within hours of a bill release like this. They would blast the thing in a press release. Those have not been issued, which would appear to be a hopeful sign that they're open to this. The Democratic Senator Chris Murphy of Connecticut, who's an appropriator, was on um, Meet the Press Sunday and and said he doesn't like the laddered approach, but he's open to it. And the important thing is not to shut government down, and so he's not going to rule it out. Sending signals that compromise could be in the works here, or am I getting my hopes too high? 
No, I don't think so. I mean, you know, the the purpose of the the, the laddered approach is, you know, number one, um, it you know it will appeal to some conservatives because instead of the funding for everything expiring at the same time, which which conservatives say is going to make it more likely that they do another omnibus, um, the the funding you know for several bills would expire in January and. For the rest of the bills would expire in February, so it wouldn't be uh, it, it wouldn't be as dramatic an expiration of funding. So, so this would appeal to conservatives. Um, the The other reason for it is the uh, Republican leaders say that um, this would provide incentive for both chambers to pass bills or negotiate bills. Um, so again, yeah, Democrats have been crit- critical of the the laddered approach, but the the other aspect of this. House uh, CR is that it would continue funding at current levels, which is the the typical way that CRs go. That's the way they normally go. But uh, but House conservatives had been pressing for for cuts um, in the CR. They wanted a continuing resolution that would cut spending below current levels. Um, so th- I, I think the fact that this would continue spending at current levels has been a pleasant surprise to Democrats and will probably attract Democratic support. Yeah, it was interesting to see how this bill is constructed, Paul, because, you know, this really is the first big test of Mike Johnson's leadership, right? He just came into power in kind of this surprise move to become the new speaker uh, with no leadership experience really behind him coming in as a fledgling. And this really is the first big test because, you know, the last speaker, Kevin McCarthy, got ousted basically because he agreed to to this kind of a stopgap measure with Democratic support. And here we are again. uh, And Johnson is really trying to thread the needle here by constructing a bill that I, I think appears designed to appeal to both factions, but not but neither gets everything they wanted. As you pointed out, it is interesting that this two-step approach, it does prevent or should prevent, even next year when all this funding expires, another omnibus catch-all bill that conservatives hate, right? By doing it in two steps, there wouldn't be one big package when they finish their full-year bills. There would be presumably two smaller size packages. Hopefully, that gives conservatives some some sense of ease here that that he's meeting them halfway by avoiding an omnibus even next year. Never mind that it, it pushes it past Christmas, which they also didn't want. They didn't want a pre-Christmas surprise. This pushes it past Christmas, but also in two steps so that they avoid an omnibus. That those are t- top selling points for the for the right wing of his party. On the other hand, as you point out, what the right wing did not get were spending cuts. And we've already had, I think, three at least Republican members of the House already outblasting the bill. And Johnson, to get a rule approved for this bill, Johnson can't afford to lose more than four, I don't think. So he's he's pushing it already. You know, there's so many ways this could get derailed. And that's one of them is first, the House has to approve a rule governing floor debate before they can even get to the bill. And those rules are always partisan votes and Democrats are sure to oppose the rule. And so with the House majority being so slim, there's little wiggle room there. John, you know, if he loses more than four, 
Republican votes, it's toast, I think. So he's already lost three. We'll see how that goes. That's the first big test um, awaiting us. Uh, the House Rules Committee is going to vote meet uh, Monday night, and Johnson wants to take this to the floor on Tuesday morning or sometime Tuesday. That's the first big test. And then for Democrats, it's also a mixed bag, right? Because on the one hand, um, on the one hand, they didn't have to, they don't have to contend with spending cuts. On the other hand, they really wanted President Biden's emergency spending package in here. They want aid for Israel. They want aid for Ukraine. They want those to move together. They don't want to see a delay. This bill provides none of that. Um, it it does spare Johnson the fight within his caucus over Ukraine money, which is increasingly contentious among Republicans. That fight gets pushed to another day in this by not putting it in this bill. On the other hand, Democrats really want to see it in here, but I don't know. Maybe they can live without it for a few weeks if they can if they can avoid a government shutdown. Paul, I I don't think they can hold up the CR um, over. The, uh, the the Ukraine, Israel aid, etc. I, I think they'd be in a very weak position if they said, we're going to shut the government down because the House um, is not including um, this foreign aid. Um, you know, I think this may have been a very savvy move by Johnson because um, the, you know, it may be the case, you know, given the, you know, you mentioned the very narrow Republican majority in the House. It may be the case that there is no CR that Johnson could put forward that could pass with only Republican votes, right? So if you can't pa- if you can't write a CR that that passes with only Republican votes, enough Republican votes, then you then you've got to write a CR that is going to attract Democratic votes as well. Yeah, I think he knows that. That's just I just think that's uh, math, right? I mean, it's basic math. You always have a few defectors, so so he's going to need some Democratic votes, and he knows that he he can't avoid a shutdown without bipartisan support anyway. It won't get through the Senate without bipartisan support. So I think he knows that going in. But what he doesn't want to do is tick off his party's right wing, right? And so can he can he pass a bill that most Republicans can get behind without ticking off the right wing, which? You know, frankly, he's sort of a part of, we should say. I mean, he's very, very conservative himself. So that's the juggling act, it seems to me, is is can you can you avoid ticking them off? He's already ticked off three of them, but can he limit the damage to that, or is there more coming? Well, something that we have heard from lawmakers in recent days after Johnson became speaker is that there is there's a different mood in the House now where some of the rebels who, you know, in, in the past brought about the downfall of Kevin McCarthy as speaker, and then there were others who opposed Steve Scalise becoming speaker, and then others who opposed Jim Jordan becoming speaker, and finally Johnson became speaker. But there, there, is, um, th- there may be a new mood now where th- the, these rebels are less willing to completely disrupt and stop the operations of the House. I mean, you know, we shall see. um, But I mean, you know, so far we have, you know, we have not heard any noises about, you know, getting rid of of Speaker Johnson. 
if he doesn't do exactly what what we want him to do. Uh, we haven't heard that yet. It's possible we will. Time will tell. I I kind of doubt it. He did just he did just take office here. I mean, you would think they would want to give him a little bit of a chance. If, if for no other reason than he was the only one everybody could agree to elect as speaker, if they oust him, who's next? I mean, I don't think there's anybody. <laughs> is there anybody else they have ready to go? I mean, it doesn't seem like it. No, that's a good point. I don't think there is anybody else. So that's that's why I would think an ouster of Johnson would be unlikely at the moment, even if this bill goes through. Um, but the question is, can he even get this bill through? It, it is a tightrope. I would bet that he does. Um, I mean, I don't. Um, I, I don't think Democrats want to shut down the government, and I think this. I think this bill is good enough for a lot of Democrats. Obviously, you're going to have Democrats voting against it. You'll have some Republicans voting against it. But I, I, I think this is this bill is probably good enough. I think it probably meets the the minimum standards of uh, of of Democrats in both chambers and a lot of Republicans in both chambers. Although, Paul, complicating this for Democrats is you have the White House. They did come out and blast the bill, right? Uh, I mean, uh, the White House press secretary was very harsh and said it's just a recipe for more Republican chaos and more shutdowns, were her words. Um, No mincing words there. I mean, they they just were prepared. They just wanted to blast the bill. I think um, that does make it a little more difficult for Democrats to get behind it at this point. I would think. Well, you know, we'll see. I mean, that might have might have been a little bit premature. Um, that White House blasting of the bill, yeah. and it did seem out of step with what Democratic lawmakers are saying for the most part. Um, so it was a little jarring, a little surprising to me. Um, to have the White House denounce it so quickly when when Democratic leaders seem to be open to it, mostly. We did have uh, the other exception would be the the top Democrat on House Appropriations, Rosa DeLauro, uh, the longtime Connecticut appropriator, also did, I think, just Sunday come out and blast the bill. Um, doesn't like this laddered approach and wants emergency spending in, in it. Um, so she wasn't happy either. But that doesn't necessarily mean that's where democratic leadership is. Yeah, that's where that's right. I mean, she has there have been instances in the past where she has been opposed to legislation which which most democrats ended up supporting. Um and 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 that's to be expected. It's, you know, each each individual each each lawmaker is an individual lawmaker and you know has their own um you know their own view of things and she certainly does and um there will be, you know, and, and her view represents probably, you know, quite quite a few Democrats who will be opposed to this. Um, but, you know, that that doesn't mean you won't get enough Democratic support to pass it. OK, so, Paul, we still haven't talked about what could happen here in the Senate. And I think, you know, you were the first to report last week that Senate Democrats have been considering their own stopgap funding measure, a clean one that just extends all funding into January, right? Yeah, that's right, to January 19. And that was uh, that was an interesting development because um, 
Prior to that, Senate Democrats had been looking at um, a CR that would go into early December, which has often been the case when they've, when they've done these CRs, try to get it done before the end of the calendar year. But, um, but they were considering, and they hadn't made any final decisions, but they were considering going into January, I think, for a couple of reasons, because, like, you know, number one, that might be more acceptable to the House. Um, but number two, it's going to take some time for the House and Senate to negotiate appropriations bills. Very hard to believe they could do it, um, get it done um, by December. Um, you know, they're operating with different top lines at this point. I mean, the, the House is operating with a lower spending level than the Senate. So, you know, before they can make much progress on any of these bills in terms of negotiating them, they have to agree on a top line. And, you know, that could take some time. So, you know, as you have pointed out, these two CRs are not necessarily a lot different, except the House has the laddered approach. And the Senate has the traditional, all the all the funding expires the same date. Yeah. So the question now, Paul, is what happens to that Senate idea? Because as we tape on Monday, the Senate Monday night is supposed to vote, uh, take its first procedural vote to get their own bill going. Uh, it's it's a complicated procedural thing. It's just the very first preliminary step of a shell bill um, just to move it along to to uh, to get the process started if they want to take up their own measure. Any idea where that stands? Uh, n- not really. I mean, you know, they might they might go ahead with that because, you know, they don't know what the fate of the, the CR is going to be in the House. So they may want to continue on with that effort. Uh, and, and so that they have insurance, so they have a backup plan, um, or, so, or, or, I mean, maybe, maybe, maybe it's, maybe it's delayed. I mean, um, uh, I, I would expect there are talks going on right now between yeah. House and Senate Democratic leaders and, and, and Republican leaders. And, you know, it is um, trying to move ahead on that is a risk for Democrats because they need 60 votes to do it which means they need bipartisan support. And senior Texas Republican Senator John Cornyn was out this morning, in fact, saying, why would you expect Republicans to vote for that when we don't even know what's in the bill yet? There has been no Senate bill presented to us. So, you know, should we advance a mystery package? Um, That's a tall order for Republicans maybe to swallow if they haven't even seen what what Democrats want to do. Uh, which is a legitimate argument, I think, which would suggest that, you know, if Republicans vote in lockstep against it, then then he can't even move that forward tonight on Monday night. So that's a problem, too. Could Chuck Schumer, the Democratic leader, delay this vote? Yeah. Might he want to see what the House does? He won't know till Tuesday at the earliest whether the House can pass its bill. And as of course, time is ticking because the deadline is Friday. I think you know Republicans and Democrats in the Senate will be, um, you know, Democrats particularly will be looking at this House bill and saying, you know, can can we support this? Can we live with this? And are there any amendments that we really need to make? Changes that we really need to make? Yeah. 
And, you know, we should address the, the, the uh, for a while, they were really focused on doing this emergency supplemental spending package, right? Because you, Israel is crying out for, for m- money in its war against Hamas. Ukraine is desperate for more money, even though some Republicans now are rebelling against that. They wanted to do stuff on border security. There is a bipartisan effort underway now to see if they could agree on border policy changes that would accompany more Ukraine aid to create this mega package that might have a chance of passing. And this does seem now as though all of that gets shelved uh, until after Thanksgiving at this point, because I think the the conclusion seems to be it's too heavy a lift to put that into this stopgap measure. Yeah, I think that's the handwriting on the wall. I mean, you know, Senate Democrats earlier were looking at, you know, um, including this this foreign aid um, in the CR. And then, you know, as we reported, they were considering this different plan, which would not include putting the foreign aid on the CR. So I think there I think there's an acknowledgement that um, that that is going to have to wait. And, you know, we we could end up with um, with a bill that would combine Israel with Ukraine and with some with some other, uh, maybe the you know the Taiwan and some other right. other funding as well. We should say, I mean, the House did pass its own Israel aid bill, but that was a partisan bill. Uh, Johnson had a chance to do a bipartisan Israel package, and he did not take that route. Then that was just a couple weeks ago, I think. He was able to pass with Republican support a fourteen billion dollar aid bill for Israel, but. It, it, to pay for it, he wanted to slash IRS funding, and that was a no no starter for Democrats. And the Congressional Budget Office said it would actually cost the government money and, and increase the deficit by doing that, because when you when you cut back on tax enforcement efforts, you you reduce your revenue coming in. So that all blew up in their face, really, because it was a bill that had no future, and the dem- the Senate deemed dead on arrival. And so now that that's dead, it does seem like the chance for helping Israel and Ukraine now have to wait we- at least weeks later. And this is where the politics of Washington can tie up uh, vital spending, right, that that most people in Congress agree to and want to see passed, but they can't make it happen in time or they can't make it happen quickly, even though there's wars going on in the Middle East and in Ukraine that that is that is the politics of this more than anything which is you know it's kind of sad but that's often how things shape up so that goes by the wayside for now but it's going to even it's still going to be a herculean task just to get this simple stopgap funding extension passed by friday because you know even if they pass it in the house paul it's it's slow going in the Senate. We know under Senate rules that are so cumbersome, you need unanimous consent in the Senate to speed things up. And once again, because it's down to the wire, Senate leaders have left themselves hostage to any single senator who wants to, to tie this up. It's their right. You know, they wouldn't have to worry about that if they had given themselves more time. But this is always what happens when they go down to the wire. So now any single senator will be able to hold it up, try to make demands. Can it still happen by Friday? I mean, that you know, that's why it would not surprise me if this stretches into the weekend. 
uh, if the government takes preliminary steps to shut down, theoretically, they may have till Monday before they really feel any effects of a shutdown. So maybe they they think they have till Monday anyway, but it's going to be messy. Yeah, I, am, I mean, my bet is, uh, you know, a very good chance they get this done by the end of the weekend. You know, I don't know whether they get it all done by Friday, but, um, you know, again, you know, Johnson included this latter CR approach and um, that in a sense, there's a, that's, that's almost there's a little symbolism in that. I mean, that that is something that that could, you know, cause Republican conservatives in the Senate to look a little bit more kindly on this bill. And that doesn't mean that that, uh, you know, every single one of them will agree. I mean, there's always the chance that, uh, you know, that Rand Paul uh, might object. Um, but, you know, one of his major objections has been some of the foreign aid and there's no foreign aid in the CR. So um, so this, you know, this might move more smoothly than we might otherwise expect. Wow. Well, on that hopeful note, I think that's all the time we have for today. We are going to be busy and we will track each and every development of this stopgap measure as it moves along, if it moves along. If you like what you heard here, you should subscribe to the CQ Budget newsletter. It hits your inbox every morning that Congress is in session. You can find that at CQ.com. You can find all of our budget coverage at CQ.com or rollcall.com. My thanks again to Paul Krozak for joining me today. Thanks, Paul. And thank you, David. And thank you all for listening. I'm David Lerman, your budget tracker. We'll see you next time. Thank you.